so good to have you with us this morning. We are um, kind of winding down our look at the book of Exodus as we've spent the majority of this year, um, about six months total in the book of Exodus. Uh, so we're glad that you're here. We're going to take a look today at uh, active and passive. We're going to be talking about active and passive listening and a kind of an active and passive lifestyle for God. Um, here's kind of how we're going to approach this. I don't know how many of you have read Exodus on a somewhat frequent basis, but you will discover that the last portion of the book of Exodus may not be the most page-turning type reading that you can have. Because we're still working through this tabernacle, right? We've looked at this the past couple weeks, uh, and we've looked at it from a little bit of a different perspective, at least from what I've really ever looked at it before. From the Ten Commandments on, and the instructions for the tabernacle, and these experiences that the Israelites are having at the base of Mount Sinai, we're, we've seen it through this lens of a gracious, merciful God who is wanting to dwell with His people. Not just from the standpoint of a God who wants us to do what He commands. That's on an ego trip that gives us these commandments that I'm going to hold you under the oppression and the rule of my thumb, so I've got to give you laws in order that I can control your behavior. That's not the nature of what God's doing here. The nature is, I want to dwell with my people, and I want you to dwell with me. So I'm giving you these commands in order that you know what it is that pleases me that draws my heart of affection towards you and yours toward mine. And then I not only am going to give you this insight into these relational tips, but I'm also going to set up a thing we're going to call the tabernacle. And since you did not take the invitation to come into my presence and dwell with me, then my presence is going to come to you and I'm going to dwell in this tabernacle. And chapters 37, 38, and 39, if you have read those, they may be kind of familiar to you because they basically mirror chapters 25, 26, and 27. So much so to the point that most uh, articles you'll read on it, most blogs you'll read on it, most sermons you'll hear, videos you'll watch, even some of the commentaries that you'll read Whenever they get to chapter 25, they'll say, okay, we're just going to include chapter 37 with this as well because they mirror each other. And when it gets to chapter 26, they're like, we're going to include chapter 38. And the same with 27 and 39. Like they're so similar that they oftentimes get lumped together. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to do so, but what I want to do this morning is I want us to maybe take a little bit of a different approach to these two very similar passages. I think what we see is we see in chapters 25, 26, and 27 where God has given Moses the instruction on how to build the tabernacle. We are seeing the nation of Israel and Moses listening to the Word of God. I think we see them listening to His instruction. And then when we get to this 37, 38, 39, which repeats itself, we, we see His people joyfully doing the Word of God. 
So we have an instruction. We have a season of where God is instructing them and saying, this is how I want this tabernacle built. This is how you're to do it. And then we fast forward to the end, almost the end of the book, and we see where the people are joyfully doing the Word of God. So the instruction that he's laid out in 25, 26, and 27, they are now joyfully doing that. But the Israelites, being the Israelites, and us, being much like the Israelites, they had a period here where they struggled with this. So they received the Word, they received the instruction in 25, 26, 27. They begin to joyfully do it in 37, 38, and 39. But there's a period there where they really wrestle with what God wants them to do. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been there? Okay. Anybody up top? Anybody ever been there? Like we receive the instruction, we receive the commandments, we know what God wants us to do, but before we just hippity hop on down the golden trail there and joyfully doing the word, there's times in our lives that we can, we can wrestle with what God wants us to do. Like maybe what he wants us to do doesn't necessarily match up with what we want to do. It's like Nikki, when she was reading this morning, when she was praying this morning, she said that, you know, that we trust in your plan, even if it's not our plan. Even if it's not playing out like we want it to play out, God, we're going to trust in your plan. And what we see is in between the giving of the word, the hearing of the word, and the doing of the word as we find a wrestling with the word in chapter 32. Let me take you back there for just a minute, just give you the, the, the overview of it. Remember that little thing we, we covered called the golden calf? You see, they found themselves at a place where they had received the Word of God, but they had this internal battle as to whether they were going to be obedient to the Word of God. And they have this notion of where we need to build a golden calf. They wrestled with this. You see, it's one thing for us to receive the instruction of God. It's one thing for us to know His commandments. When God places barriers, when He places guardrails on the road, it's, it's one thing for us to recognize them. It's another thing for us to live by those. Is it not? Okay, so here's, here's an illustration for you. I got, I got a couple of illustrations this morning. First off, uh, let's see, the instruction here, doing it here. Uh, do we have any like armchair quarterback parents in here? You know the ones who sit in the stands at your kids' sporting events? And you know everything that the coach should do. You know every play that they should make. You know every substitution that should happen. You know when the timeouts need to be taken. And it's so easy to sit up there and be like, oh, I need to do this here, do this here, do this here. But when you get on the bench, or when you get in the game, and things are happening in real time there, becomes different in this playing out. So let's use another illustration. So that's one. Another illustration is, what is the speed limit on 64? <laughs> like some of you really have some trust issues with me right now, don't you? <laughs> They're like, nope, not answering that. Speed limit, 70 miles an hour. It's one thing that the sign says 70 miles an hour, Right? When the sign says that that's just a suggestion. Right? It's like, listen, I paid for the full speedometer. <laughs> I'm getting the full speedometer. 
So whenever there is this speed limit, we see the command, we see the instruction, and as long as it's that sign there, we're not really going to pay that close of attention to it. But when the state trooper comes along, all of a sudden, that instruction, that suggestion just got a lot more real, right? And how many of you have ever been in that like two-lane two NASCAR restart pileup that's led by the pace car that is the state trooper? Right? Right? I mean, we've all been there. And then the state trooper gets off the exit. Green flag racing, baby. We are back at it. Those lanes just right there. So see, there's, there's this difference in receiving and knowing the speed limit, knowing what the command is, knowing what the instruction is, and doing it. So let's make another little left-hand turn here. Let's use this example that we have set for two weeks and heard from God's Word about living a whole life of generosity. How have we done with it? See, it's one thing to passively listen to the Word. It's one thing to be in here on Sunday mornings and hear the Word, receive the Word, be challenged by the Word. It's a whole other thing to go out and live it. Be doers of the Word. See, one of the biggest threats to us as believers is adopting a mentality of good enough. That's good enough. I went to church this morning. That's good enough. I gave in the offering this morning. That's good enough. I didn't fall asleep in Ben's sermon. Surely, that's good enough. We lost an hour. My internal clock says I'm ready for lunch right now. But I didn't get up and walk out yet. That's good enough, right? Like, listen, I am at church. I take my kids to church. I do what I'm supposed to do. I give. That's good enough, right? See, self-deception is one of the things that we all face. How many of you, by show of hands, enjoy when someone lies to you? Right? Nobody. No one that I know of likes it when we are lied to. I don't like it. But what I also know to be true about myself is the biggest source of lies in my life is me. I lie to myself more than any of y'all lie to me. You see, we get into this place of self-deception of I'm okay. This is good enough. I read three chapters of my Bible this morning instead of two. That's good enough. I went to church twice this month. That's good enough. I volunteered once this past year. It's good enough. I prayed for people sometimes. I meant it sometimes. That's good enough. I love you all. You, you all realize this, right? Like, I, I love you. And I know that this is stepping on some toes this morning, and, and, and I hope it does. 
Because to be honest with you, I don't want to stand before the throne on the day of my giving account of my works and having to say that I never talked to you all about this, I never addressed this, because in the American church, the spirit of good enough is killing the church. Again, I understand the church cannot be killed. I understand the capital C church will never be killed. I get it. But I don't necessarily think we're healthy. And I think this consumer-driven, good-enough mentality is one of the leading causes of the decline of the church. You see, this good enough is tough. Because what good enough tells us is that you only have to try so hard was reading a really interesting article yesterday, and this was a sports psychologist who's worked with about, this is the third generation of athletes that this sports psychologist has worked with, and they said that the leading deficiency in athletes overall today is they have a 90% mentality. They will only give 90%. Because if they fail, they want to have something to blame it on. Because if they're giving 100% and they still fail, then they have nothing else to blame it on but themselves. And I don't think that that is just this generation. I think that that is our kind of wiring internally as mankind to begin with. Is like we love having that other option of this didn't work because of this. Now, I want you to turn into the book of James. So we're going to talk about active and passive. Okay, Hearing the Word, wrestling with the Word, and joyfully doing the Word. Here's my goal over these next few minutes. So I'm, I'm going to tell you what I'm hoping to achieve here within the next 15 to 20 minutes. Is if you're here and you are going hard after the Lord, if you are pursuing your relationship and giving everything that you have in your relationship with Him, then I want to encourage you to keep doing so. If you're here and you're kind of in this middle to where you can feel the complacency creeping in to your relationship and your life as a Christian and pursuing God, then I want to motivate you. I I want to make you uncomfortable enough to where that complacency is combated this morning. And if you're here, and you're apathetic, like you just don't care what you do, what happens, I hope you're convicted this morning. So if you're already going after it, I want to encourage you. If you're maybe slipping into complacency, I want to combat that with a little bit of fire this morning in your relationship with God. And if you're here and you just don't care, if you're apathetic, my prayer this morning before we started was that the Holy Spirit would convict your heart and would move you into a place of desire and going into the presence of God. So James chapter 1, there's probably a lot of you who are not surprised that we're going to this passage of Scripture if you know James chapter 1. But James chapter 1, starting with verse 19, going through 26, I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation this morning, so if there's some differences in your translation, that's why. But the New Living Translation is also on the screen. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, 
You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself and walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Now, two things that I believe that James is pointing out to us here. And the first is that self-deception. Now, many of you will have seen this meme. Maybe one of the greatest memes of all time. But I think that it describes kind of the state of the church, and I think it kind of describes the state of some of our lives in the way that we're approaching our relationship with God. Austin, if you wouldn't mind to give me that next slide, please. Self-deception in verse 22. How many of you are familiar with this meme? You're just kind of sitting there. And the bottom, you can't see it. But the whole room is engulfed in flames. And our little dude's sitting there with his coffee cup. And the bottom of it says, this is fine. Everything's fine. Anybody ever feel like this is the story of your life sometimes? <laughs> like you're just sitting there and you're like, no, it's fine. This is fine everything's fine. And you see, and that's what self-deception does for us. Folks, we live in a world that's lost and dying. We live in a world so desperately in the need of Jesus that I don't know if, I, I, I can't say it's worse than it's ever been, but I can tell you that in my lifetime, this world needs the good news of the gospel as much as it's ever needed it before. But I feel like the majority of our churches are sitting around this table with our coffee cups while the world is burning around us going, this is fine. Everything's fine. I think that some of us are looking at our families like this. I think we're looking at our personal lives like this. We're looking at our relationship with God like this, that everything's burning around me, but everything's fine. This is fine. You see, this self-deception will lead us into this when we are just listeners, when we are just hearers of the Word only. Then we're taking this approach to our relationship with God. This is fine. Everything's fine. The second thing, and the, the next image that I kind of want to show you here, um, we're, we're going to talk about self-reflection. Now, I know that this says number one, two, uh, so I, I just basically, this is not a typo. This is just the level of importance. It's a typo. So the second thing we see is self-reflection. I want to read verse 23 and 24 to you here. For if you listen to the Word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, you forget what you look like. 
So Austin, if you wouldn't mind to go back to that image for me, please. Got any Friends fans in the house? Yeah, yeah. So this is one of the greatest scenes in that show's history. So basically, he and his friend are having this quarrel over a chair about whose chair it really was. So one of them winds up taking the pillow from the chair when they go to get up so they can't sit down. So this is Joey. His retribution was to go to his roommate's closet and put on every piece of clothing that his friend Chandler wore. Could I be wearing any more clothes? So here's why I'm using this when we talk about self-reflection. If, if you have ever had a middle school student, if you have ever had a high school student, or ladies, if you've ever had a husband, this statement has inevitably at least one time come out of your mouth. Did you even look in the mirror? I mean, because at some point, any three of those categories, the middle schooler, the high schooler, or the husband, has probably come walking out looking like something similar to this. It's like, did you even look into a mirror? And James challenges us with this, with this, what mirror are we looking at? Anybody ever been through like one of those uh, carnival type house of mirror things? And if you've not been through it, you're at least familiar with it. Like you walk in and there's all different types of mirrors and they'll show you all different types of reflections. You can walk into one and it's like, instead of being this wide, you're like this wide. Instead of being like super tall, you're like super short. And then the opposite, and it'll, it'll just concave and convex and all those con words that I don't really have a clue what they mean when it comes to mirrors, but I, I remember something from school. But they, they'll reflect this image that's not exactly what you look like. And I think that the, the danger that we have when we talk about self-deception and self-reflection is that we live our lives like we're walking through a house of mirrors. And we bounce from one mirror to the next mirror to the next mirror to the next mirror until we find the mirror that makes us look the best. And we want to say, boom, that's it. I've found my identity. I have found what I truly look like. When I find that, I have a head full of hair. It's okay. It's okay. I have a beard that's not gray, or the way I like to term it in this lighting, it's translucent. There is actually more than just a mustache. I've got stuff going around here. You just can't see it with these lights. But we see these images until we get to the place to where we're like, that's it. And the danger with that is that unless we're looking in the reflection of the mirror that God is putting in front of us, then we're going to be living out of a false identity. And here's what some of those false identities can be. When I move in, t in front of the mirror that shows me at that job I've always thought I wanted, that becomes my identity. When I move in front of that mirror that shows me in front of the relationship that I've always wanted, 
then that becomes my identity. When I, when I move and I see myself with the financial situation that I've always thought, if I move and I find myself living in this type of home, or if I move and I see myself driving this type of car, or if I move and I see myself in this certain way, then I've found my identity. Church, that can be one of the most dangerous mindsets that the enemy will ever sell you. Because what we have a tendency to do is to take the lesser things and exalt them above the one thing. What's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. Right? And we can tend to take these good things, these relationships, these, the, our career, our finances, our families, our kids, our identity here. These are all good things, but if they ever get to the place where the lesser things have taken a higher priority than the greatest thing, then you're walking in idolatry. And you're walking in false identity. You see, the struggle is that we'll come in here, we'll hear the Word of God, we'll maybe even be convicted by the Word of God. It'll stir our hearts. We'll set our affections towards that Word and to try to do better, but then we get out of the church setting and we begin to get distracted and we find ourselves coming back to a place of apathy or complacency to where all we're doing is being hearers of the Word. But yet we'll go to a job that gives us its commandments of its own and we'll follow those to a T because we want to make sure that paycheck hits the bank every Friday. Again, I love you. But when these lesser pursuits are of a higher value to us than our relationship with God, we're accepting and flowing in a false identity and we're building our own golden calf. Remember that chapter 32? We talked about that's when you wrestle. You wrestle with what God wants. Because God will give us His Word. He's faithful to deliver His Word. My prayer each and every week is that I am faithful in presenting the Word of God to you. But I know that just like me, you walk away from here sometimes with the Word that God has given us and you wrestle with that because we have this pulling of a lifelong history against us that says that if you want to be successful, then it has to look like this. If you want to live a worthy life, then it has to look like this. If, you're not, if you don't have this, if you don't have that, if this isn't happening in your life, then you're not successful. And we, we find this... This war that's taking place inside of us. And James is confronting that. He's saying that we battle with self-deception and self-reflection. Let me, let me echo this statement again. That obedience to God's Word in the life of, of a believer is not categorically optional in your life. Like our obedience is not optional for you as a Christian. If you believe 
that being a hearer of the word only, you know, well, I'm saved by grace through faith. Yes, you are. Praise God for that. And there's no other way that we're saved. Our works do not save us. But God does command and expect our obedience. Amen? It's more than just that salvific experience. It's a walk of obedience. It's a walk of consistently, day in, day out, growing closer to Him and going into His presence even further. Now, again, I love you, but if you have the mindset that you can be a hearer of the Word only and you think your relationship with God is A-OK, you may not be as A-OK as you think. A, a A commentator that I want to read you this quote Douglas Moo, I've got a couple of slides up here towards the end. He says, those who fail to do the word, and this is his commentary on James 1, 19 through 26, says those who fail to do the word, who merely listen to the word, are guilty of a dangerous and potentially fatal self-delusion. If the gospel, by nature, contains both saving power and summons to obedience... Those who relate to only the saving side have not truly embraced the gospel. They think that they're living for God. But if their listening isn't accompanied by obedience, their true situation before God is far different. I want to read to you a passage out of Matthew Matthew 28, 19-20 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Fairly recognizable verse right there, isn't it? Most of us have heard that several times. Now I want to read uh, the end of this real quick. It says, And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's another one. We take comfort in that, right? We take challenge from that first part. We take comfort from the last part. But we need to understand that those bookend a command. Those bookend something that is actionable for us. A summons for us to do something more. It says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. So there's an expectation of obedience to the commands that God has given us. This is Jesus saying, he says, go into all the nations. Spread the gospel. Baptize them. And don't worry, I'm going to be with you always until the end of the age, no matter where you go. But understand that there is an act of obedience here that I am commanding of you, that you need to teach them to obey my commands. So, one more passage I want to read you just real quickly this morning. And that's going to be out of that same passage in James. James chapter 1, and this is going to be a key word for our takeaway. To persevere. To persevere. It's verse 24, or 25, excuse me. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. There's an element of perseverance that each and every one of us has to walk in. Now, I'm not going to ask you for details as to what, 
But I would like to ask to see a show of hands. How many of you in here are dealing with something right now that you wouldn't have chosen to deal with? That you're going through something that you wouldn't have chosen to go through? Like if I had a sign-up option for what's happening right now in this season of my life, I would not have checked this box. You see, that's the reality of our life. We serve an amazingly gracious, merciful, loving, and forgiving God. But he's also a God of truth that Jesus told us time and time and time and time again that there will be suffering. You will be persecuted. You will face difficult times. You will have to do hard things. And you are going to have to persevere through them. We look and we see Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah, like Elijah, who struggled doing this. And I draw encouragement from that because if some of these biblical men and women who we read about that did amazing things for God, if they struggled with things of this life, then that doesn't make me feel as bad when I struggle with them either. But what we also learn from their lives is that we can't wallow in that. We can't stay there. We can't accept that, oh, okay, well, my life is just going to be terrible. I'm going to suffer. I'm, I'm just, no, I've got to continue to persevere. I need to continue to push through, and I need to continue to seek God through this process. Because when I look carefully into the perfect law that sets us free, it's not a law unto bondage. God's laws, His commands, lead you into freedom. Amen? It is for freedom that He set us free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. So we're talking about a law that sets us free. And if you do what it says, and you don't forget it, you don't forget what you heard. When's it really important for us not to forget what His words are? It's when we're going through a difficult time, right? I mean, that's when it does me the most good. Whenever I'm struggling, whenever it's a dark season, whenever I'm reminded that we definitely still live in a Genesis 3 fallen world, that's when this comes in, when I not only do it, but I remember. I remember His Word. I remember His commands. Then God will bless you for doing it. I want to ask the praise team if they would to come and join me again. So again, this morning, if you're here, you're going after God, you're serving, you're doing, you are actively doing His will and His Word, I encourage you to keep going. Keep pressing. Keep going after Him. If you're here and you've done that, but yet you can feel complacency setting in, you can feel this burnout, you can feel this the, you know, the, the spirit of Jeremiah, kind of like, I just quit. It's pointless. Then I urge you to remember the commands of the Lord. And if you're here and you're apathetic about it, if you just don't care that you're not an active doer of the Word, I, I hope and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit convicts your heart this morning because it's not about me. This Christian walk is not about me. It's not about you. It's about God.